Well, we've been going through 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on the resurrection. But we ended last week. But that's okay. There's more scripture that talks about the resurrection. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. And our text this morning will be verses 11 to 15. The Gospel of Matthew. Listen to God's inerrant word as it is read, beginning at verse 11. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go through this text this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that this certainly is something that was only understood by eyes of faith. And so we do, again, thank you for your word that certainly gives us the facts, but we also praise you for the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to be able to see the truth for what it is. And so this morning, as we again celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, may we once again be convinced by the facts, and may we once again rejoice as the Spirit renews these truths to our heart. And may we always praise our Lord Jesus Christ in your name. Amen. Well, when you go to trial, you often bring in witnesses And so you often bring in pro-witnesses and you bring in witnesses that are on your side. And so you you bring them in and you interrogate them and you you get answers from them. And they are the the witnesses that are going to prove to you and show the judge that your side is right. But there's also a thing in the courtroom where we examine hostile witnesses and we bring them in and we, we go through their testimony and we try to poke holes in it to show that maybe that what they're saying and that their story isn't true. And this morning, that's exactly what we're going to do. Now, last year, we went through uh, verses 1 to 10 together, and we looked at some positive witnesses to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we looked at that, we, we saw those witnesses. We saw the angel that came down. We certainly know that the guards were aware that Jesus Christ was raised. We saw Mary Magdalene and Mary as they came. And then we also saw the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we had these witnesses, and they were really witnessing to the, to the fact of the empty tomb. Because if we go back as we read this morning... The Pharisees were trying to make sure that that tomb was, was, was full and that Jesus Christ was not going to be removed from that tomb. And so really what we've had here as we go through these first 15 verses in this chapter is a polemic to make sure that you know that the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was in the tomb. 
and he was going to, he's going to actually just put a, put a pinprick into that argument, going to take the air out of the balloon, that you would somehow believe that the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was not in that tomb and that, that that body was now absent from that tomb. They want you to make sure, he wants you to make sure that you know that Jesus Christ has been raised and he is no long, that the tomb is empty. And so this morning as we go to this text, we're really going to just follow through this, uh, this text and we're going, to, we're going to look at a cover-up of the fact that Jesus Christ was raised. And we're going to really just follow this text and we're going to see that number one, we're going to look at the problem here and the problem is, is the fact that Jesus Christ was raised. Here's, here's the reason why we need to cover up because the soldiers are coming back and saying he's raised. And then we're going to see the, we're going to see the content of, of the, of the cover-up. In other words, this is what we're going to do to cover it up. And eventually we're going to see how that cover-up is spread across as a story to everyone. And so this morning as we look at this text, the first thing that we simply see as we come to it is that first is really the necessity of this cover-up. Why do we have this cover-up? Well, because the soldiers come back. Now, after the Sabbath, it began, I mean, sorry, in verse 11, now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. So how did we get here? Well, we read this morning that, first of all, the chief priests wanted to make sure that the, 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 that the disciples of Christ didn't do anything fraudulent, and they were more concerned about the resurrection than the disciples, right? The disciples, they had all scattered. They had all run. In fact, they had put all the spices on Christ and put him into the grave. They had no intentions that he was going to go anywhere. But for the chief priests and for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaders of Israel, they had to make sure that this didn't take place. Because if Jesus Christ was rose, or even if, the, if, even if a rumor started, they had a lot to lose. Because for them, they were the head of the religion of Israel, and being the head of religion in Israel, that means that it was profitable. Especially for the Sadducees, who didn't believe in life after death, and this, this is all you had to have. And so they were in charge of the temple as the chief priests. And so they were, they were having money, and they had power. They had influence with the, with the Roman government. And Jesus Christ was a threat to that. Because if he had, was truly the Messiah, if he had truly rose, then it would erode their power, and it would erode their money and their influence. And they just couldn't have that. And so they had gone to Pilate, and they said, look, this guy's a deceiver. This guy... He's, uh, he's going to try, and his disciples, and they're going to try to pull something. And so they went to him in, in, in verse 62. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, chief priests and the Pharisees came and gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, remember how the imposter said that while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people. He has risen from the dead, and la last fraud will be worse than the first. 
And so they were, they were concerned about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they wanted to make sure that that body stayed in the grave. They didn't want it to take place. And so Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So Pilate says, listen, here's some guards. I believe they're Roman soldiers here. You go, you take them, and you do whatever you need to make sure that the grave is secure. This is up to you. I'm going to give you the, the manpower, but I want you to take care of it. You're in charge, and you make sure that this fraud doesn't come out. So they went to the tomb and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So they go to the tomb, they take the soldiers and they take them there and they seal the tomb. Probably they took wax and put it around there so that it, the seal could not be broken. And they posted a guard and they put them around the tomb so that no one could come. And so these soldiers were now placed under the authority of the Pharisees and the chief priests and the Jews, and they were now answerable to them. And so as they were guarding the temple, as, as they were guarding the tomb, I mean, we remember back in the beginning of chapter 28, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came down, rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And so the angel appeared, his appearance was lightning, his clothing was white as snow, the guards shook for fear of him, and it became like dead men. Now, I'm not sure if they told this part to the Pharisees, but the idea is, this is what took place. The angel of the Lord appeared, the, the stone was rolled back, the angels sitting there, they become like dead men, and now they come back and they have to report this to the Jewish leaders. Now, more than likely, they went to the Jewish leaders first because if they went to the Roman leadership, if you were ca caught sleeping on duty or if, you, if someone escaped on your call, off with the head, right? We remember what happened to those who were guarding Peter. Peter got the angel, the Lord came and took Peter out and Herod had the soldiers, had them executed, right? Off with the head. That, you just didn't do that on duty as a Roman soldier, And so these soldiers come back, and this is what they are reporting to the, to the chief priests as they come. Now we'll notice this. Now they were on their way, because remember, the, the angel appeared to the ladies, and they sent them on a report to go to the disciples and tell them that I'm risen. So we got dual, we got dual journeys going on here. We got dual reports. The ladies are off and the soldiers are off to talk to the leadership. Now it says some of the guard. So we're not exactly sure what happened. I would assume that some either stayed at the tomb. Maybe some just took off because they were scared. But they did know this. They needed to report and somebody needed to do something because they were in trouble. Because on their watch, things that happened, things that shouldn't happen things that were really unexplainable from a human perspective. And so they, came, they, needed, they needed to figure out what to do. 
And so they reported to the chief priests all that had happened. So what we know, th what we know this is that certainly you wouldn't go to the chief priests because their main job was to make sure that that body stayed there. So we would assume that they have gone in, they took a peek inside the tomb, and they know that the body's gone. And they've come back and they've reported this to them because they haven't, the body is gone. Now, the Pharisees respond in, in, in a logical and normal way. As soon as they heard this story, as soon as they heard what had taken place, once they had all the facts told to them, they immediately formed a committee, they immediately got their best investigators, and they got them together and said, we need the truth, let's march down there and figure out what's going on. Let's, let's get this, let's get this, we want all the facts because if this guy is the Messiah, we want to worship him. Is that what they did? Oh, okay, maybe I should read. Okay, so that's not what took place at all. In fact, they did really the opposite. They decided to bury it. They said, we need a plan. And here's the, here's, here's, here's the content of the plan. So they said, guess what we're going to do? They, they assembled with the elders and consulted together. In other words, they started to get together. They called all the leadership of Israel. And they, they came together. And this is really a technical term. It's used several times in, in the New Testament for the gathering of the Sanhedrin. And so they gathered all of the people together. And they conferred the Sanhedrin together. So the chief priests got the information and they're kind of like, we're not making this decision together, right? The chief priests would be the Sadducees who run the temple, but the Sanhedrin was also made up of Pharisees and some scribes. And so they, they, would, they said, we've got to deal with this because after all, they were all in on it when Christ was crucified. They all perpetrated the lie. They all pushed for his death. They were all responsible. And they said, we got to get together and we have to spin this. Right? They would classify really what the disciples, what, what the soldier said is misinformation. You've heard that word before? We need to spin the narrative. We need to put our own misinformation out there in order to correct this because we can't have people figuring this out. And so they gathered together and consulted together and they came up with a plan. And they came up really with a three-step plan or a three-step response. A beautiful plan, really. We're going to bribe them. We're going to tell them what to say, and we're going to protect them. And this way, we can make sure that whatever they do, they will respond and do what we want them to do. So instead of, instead of responding to the facts, instead of responding to what they actually knew to be true, they said, we cannot have it that way. This threatens our lifestyle, this threatens our power, this threatens our money. And so what we see very clearly, facts are not enough. 
Facts are not enough for faith. Facts are, are necessary for faith, but they do not produce faith. And here was the hardened teachers of Israel who had resisted Jesus Christ through all of his ministry, through all of his miracles, through everything that he had demonstrated. He had the proper birthplace. He had the proper names given to him. He had demonstrates God's power. He had power over disease. He had power over the universe. He had power over demons. And they rejected it all. And so the problem here wasn't facts. The problem was they just couldn't have it to be true. And they had hardened hearts against the truth. And so instead of being even a little bit intellectually honest, they simply decided to bury it. So they said they gave, it says they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Now remember, the chief priests are ahead of the temple. And we have just come off Passover. And what happens at Passover? Thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people de descend on Jerusalem for the Passover. And remember what's in place? They have decided that you can't bring your own lamb. You can't bring your own sacrifice. You have to buy it from us. So don't bring your animals to Jerusalem. We'll sell them to you. But just like any place, right, when you, go to the, when you don't go to the grocery store and you go to the corner store or you try to buy popcorn at the theater, guess what? The prices are jacked up. And so they had a nice little system of people enslaved to religion who, are, who needed to come, wanted to sacrifice, and they could fleece them. And so they had lots of money. They had tons of money. So this wouldn't necessarily be a big deal for them. How much do you need to go along with this? How much can we give you so that you will do what we say? And they found their price. You have fallen Roman soldiers who really have no skin in the game. They don't care about the Lord Jesus Christ, but they do care about money and their heads. And so they said, all right, we'll take that money. And so they said, here's our plan. Give them money. Bribe them. Now, does that sound like someone who's responding to truth, responding to facts, and wanting to do what's right? Not at all. So they gave them a large sum of money. Second part of the content of this plan was they gave them a lie to tell. And they said, you are to say to his disciples, say, his disciples came by night and stole him away. So here's the lie we want you to tell people. You need to tell them that you were sleeping and the disciples came and stole his body. Now, I think sometimes we need to go back and just consider this a little bit. How believable is this lie? How believable is this lie? Now, if we were to look at it, what are the chances that his disciples would come back and take his body and try to take his body out of the grave? 
Where did we see them and how did we see them last? Actually, we saw the back of them as they disappeared into the night in fear as they ran away. This brave group just vanished. Danger reared its ugly head and they disappeared, right? They, they, they were gone. Peter, he had that little moment of bravery before maybe sanity came in. They put the ear back on the, the chief priest's servant. And what did he do? Well, he was brave enough to follow Jesus to the chief priest's place until he denied him three times emphatically, stronger every time. Peter took off, right? Only John was there at the crucifixion. Everybody disappeared. Is this a brave group that's going to try an insurrection? I hardly think so. Now you have to ask yourself, what are the chances that the guards fell asleep? Now generally, you have a guard would be about, about 16 men. You would have four men on guard for three-hour shifts. Now these men are disciplined soldiers. These men would understand the consequences of falling asleep. But even logistically, what are the chances that these so soldiers would have fallen asleep? They're only on for three hours. Most of us only sleep eight hours, so somebody's probably awake somewhere, as well as the four on duty. So what are actually the chances to have all 16 of them fall asleep? Virtually zero. Now to add to that, what are the chances that the, that the disciples are going to come out while they're sleeping, break the seal on the tomb, roll that big stone uphill, take the body out, unwrap it, right, because the wrapping is there, and take his body away without disturbing the soldiers? The absurdity is, is, is quite something when you start to think about it. How on earth would they sneak in while they're sleeping and take the body? And the soldiers didn't see it. Which <laughs> leads to the, uh, maybe a fourth objection here. If they're asleep, how do they know it was the disciples that took the body? Right? I mean, I th that seems like a, a legitimate question to ask. How do you know that they stole the body. You were asleep. So again, you, you have this problem with sleeping. Then you have to ask yourself, they tell this lie, they're to tell this lie, and the disciples stole the body. Why didn't, why didn't the Pharisees prosecute the disciples? After all, it was a crime to what? To steal a body. It was a crime. So why didn't they prosecute the disciples? Why didn't they round one up and at least have, they could have another mock trial like they did with Jesus Christ, right? They had an illegal trial there. Why not have another one and just put this to bed? But they didn't. 
because they were so focused on making sure that what? There was an empty tomb and they couldn't have that. Now what I want you to notice here is that it, he is now really honing in on the fact that guess what? There was a body in the tomb. And now there is no longer a body in the tomb. Now if you look in history, we've had many different theories as to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now some have said, well, you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ was simply put in a different tomb. In fact, we, ha we, we, we would understand that there was no bur burial at all. In fact, Christ was never put in the tomb. And the disciples actually went to a different tomb and it was empty. We would have to say there's been a lot of effort and a full understanding of the, of the Pharisees and the chief priests that there was a body in the tomb because that's the issue. Why would you send soldiers to a tomb that didn't contain the body? It wasn't as if somehow they got the wrong tomb. It's not as if Christ had never been buried because they were sure they sealed the tomb to keep him in. So if you want to talk about a theory that, that's, that's talking about no, a no burial or getting the wrong tomb, this demonstrates very clearly that he was buried and they thought his body was in there. So this, this isn't some chance resurrection as if somehow they got the wrong place. Now it's interesting. Someone, other people have said, well, guess what? There was a swoon theory. Right? Christ suffered on the cross. He was stabbed in the side. They pronounced him dead. They took him. They wrapped him up in spices for three days. And somehow, miraculously, he came to life again after three days. The Pharisees thought he was dead. Did they not? Was there any doubt in their mind? Because the, guess what? The Romans were really good at this. They were really good at killing people and they knew when people were dead. This crew that was crucified the Lord Jesus Christ was an experienced crew. This isn't, they don't just send regular people there and they knew that he was dead. They pronounced him dead. They jabbed his side in water and blood coming out, demonstrating he was absolutely dead. And then they buried him. His disciples thought he was dead. In fact, the swoon theory came out in about 1600. It took, it took the doubters 1600 years to get there. The Pharisees didn't even consider it. Why? They fully knew he was dead. Right? That's why they were guarding the tomb. They weren't afraid that he was what? Going to rise again. They were afraid the disciples were going to steal the body. So I think we can put that one aside. And so we, we start to see that as we look at, at all of these theories... of Christ's resurrection, even though he is, his point is the disciples did not steal the body and that tomb is empty, that it puts aside all of those theories, right? We have, we have theories, the telepathic theory, 
There's no physical resurrection, but God sent back a telepathic messages to the disciples so that they would think he was alive. Well, does that sound reasonable? So God now is a liar. He's now giving images of things that didn't take place, deceiving people so they'll follow him. Does that sound like the God of the Bible, the God that is holy, that is without sin? I don't think so. Again, you start to see how all the theories of Christ's resurrection are, are simply put to bed by the reaction of what? The Pharisees. It is, his, it is his enemies who are now by their actions demonstrating very clearly that they know that that, 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 that grave is empty. There is no one in there. come to the third part of this of this plan or this cover up is simply this and if it should come to the governor's ears we will win him over and keep you out of trouble in other words we've got your back don't worry about this now it may be that they just thought it would never come to to Pilate's attention he had his cottage in Caesarea so maybe they just thought well maybe it will never come to his attention Again, the guards are in, in a, a predicament if it does come to him, right? Because there's no doubting that they didn't prevent the theft of the body. There's no denying that the, the body had been in the tomb and sealed. There's no denying that the body was no longer there. But the chief priest said to them, listen, we'll take care of it for you. We'll take care of it for you because if it comes to him, we'll deal with them. And they were good at that. In fact, they were very good at that, right? Because they had already pushed Pilate around to the point where they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ in the first place. And Pilate had already done enough things to offend the Jews. And all they had to say is what? We're going to go to Caesar and we're going to get, we're going to rebel and we can throw up a big stink. And guess what? You'll be thrown out. Well, they'll bring in another governor who can take care of us. The Jews were famous for this. And they had already been manipulating him. They already had control of him. They had already been able to get him to do whatever they wanted. And they were convinced that they could do it again. We, we've already controlling him a bit like a puppet. All we have to do is throw out that we're going to Caesar. And he'll do what we want. And so he says, don't worry about it. In fact, he's, the, the idea here is be carefree. Be carefree. If it comes to him, we will convince him and you will keep you out of trouble. We, we, we will keep, you should have no care at all because we have so got this and we have got so control of this man, there's not a chance that you will get into trouble. So you combine the idea of, guess what? Lots of money. You're getting paid. You're not getting into trouble. In fact, you're pretty much guaranteed that you, there's nothing going to happen to you. You've got people who are pretty much engaged and willing to go along. 
Here's money for nothing, really. All you have to do is tell this lie. Now, it's a preposterous lie. It's, it, it's, it's a lie that's almost laughable when you think about it. But like any lie, if you tell it enough and you tell it long enough, people believe it. And tragically, we see, again, the idea here, the dissemination of the cover-up cover or the spread of the cover. And they took the money and did it. They perjured themselves. They lied. They decided that they would, it was better to take the money than to tell the truth. And they did as they had been instructed, and this story was widely spread among the Jews. This is, this is the target audience, right? They did a good job. It went to all the Jews because it was the Jews that who would be affected. It would be the Jews who would believe in the Messiah. It would be the Jews who would ultimately decide the fate of the leaders if, if they abandoned them. And so we have here the soldiers who knew it was a lie, the chief priests who knew it was a lie, and the Sanhedrin knew it was a lie. And they continued to tell that lie because it was convenient and it benefited them. They knew the truth. They'd been there. They had witnessed it. You'll notice that the Pharisees didn't actually argue about their testimony, not one bit. It wasn't that they didn't, they didn't understand it to be true. They refused to allow it to affect them. And so now he says, this is widely spread among the Jews. Many, many people heard this lie. Many were influenced by this lie. It was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Now remember, he's writing Matthew here probably around 50 AD. Jesus Christ died around 30 AD. This is 20 years later. And he says, this story is still being told. This story is still being told. And that's the thing about unbelief, right? You'll even take something that doesn't make sense. You'll even take something that is on its face unreasonable and you will believe it because it leads you to where you want to go. And the Jews who wanted to stay under the law, who thought they were good before God, who felt that they could work themselves to God and they felt good about themselves, refused to look at the evidence and they bought the lie. And that's what the unredeemed do. They take the truth of God and they exchange it for a lie. And so that is exactly what has taken place. And Later on, there's witnesses in church history that the Jews continue to believe this lie, that Jesus, that the body was stolen. Well, Jesus did not leave himself without witness. Remember, we, t we talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We said, beginning in verse 3, for I delivered to you as I First importance, that's what I received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, 
Then he appeared to the twelve. After that, he appeared more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Jesus Christ did not leave himself without witnesses. He appeared many times to many, many people. There is no doubt that he was raised from the dead. And so those who d deny him, those who, s who were convinced of it, knew who he was, accepted who he was, and it changed their lives. But one of the most powerful testimonies is not just the people who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ because they saw him risen. But it is the fact that his enemies tried to cover up that he was risen. And it is their testimony. It is their actions that demonstrate that the Lord Jesus Christ truly was raised from the dead. That that grave was empty and our Savior lives. And so this morning we can see that not just those who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ witnessed to the fact that he was raised, but his very enemies, those who denied who he was and did not recognize him for being the Messiah, demonstrated through their own behavior and their own lies and their own actions that Jesus Christ truly is risen. And so this morning we can stand here and we can say not only our friends and foe both testify to the fact that he is risen, he is risen indeed. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the testimony here again to the empty tomb and how even, even the enemies of our Lord Jesus Christ, God has used to testify to the resurrection of his son. And so this morning we simply sit here in praise and honor and give glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. We stand here redeemed by his blood. We are affirmed by his resurrection and we know that we too someday will be raised because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we give him all honor and glory and praise this morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.